You are listening to Rouge, White, and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. My name is Oz Davis, so I'll be your co-host for the show. And joining me as always is – oh, wait. Hang on a second. Uh, the Tiger Cats have just scored again. Joining me as always is my co-host, Joe Pritchard. Joe, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing all right. I think the Red Blacks and the Riders just scored again too. <laughs> Exactly. We got some we got some good basketball games this week in the CFL. Uh joining us to form a triad for the show uh is our frequent guest. He's 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 our he's our sixth man to use a basketball analogy. He's our designated hitter to use a baseball analogy. He's Josh Smith of Potsky Wee Wee. Josh, how's it going, how's it guys? Going? Oh, it's going hey. The Ticats won 64 to 14 for a 50 point defeat of the Argos last week, so I'm doing pretty darn good. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was just gonna warn the listeners of this podcast, folks, this could get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Josh is gonna try and keep it cool this week, uh, as cool as he possibly can be. He's gonna have to wait a few minutes because we're gonna do a rundown of last week's games first thing, first things first. Uh, let's talk. <laughs> Very interesting game in light of. Do you remember what we said about this game last week, Joe? Yeah. So, uh, okay. so I went two for three last week, but I yeah. feel like the guy. If you've ever watched the Simpsons football Super Bowl episode, oh. where they keep where Homer keeps trying to gamble and keeps listening to different people and such before he listens to Lisa. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them is the guy that's right fifty-two percent of the time. And wrong 48% of the time. I felt like that this week because I didn't really <laughs> nail the tenor of any of these games. I happened to catch the winners on a couple, but I felt really kind of lost in the woods this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sick thing was on this game is I actually played these games for money. And uh, they made a very big deal in this game about the over-under line, which was 44, I believe. And I think it was 45, to be honest. So... The Red Blacks did it themselves. This was the lowest point uh, total for an over-under in the CFL in four years. Even the TSN guys in the pregame made a note of this, which is hard to imagine because, you know, last year the Alouettes couldn't score 14 points a game. So I don't understand why the the, the point spread has never been this low. But 44-41. Now, uh, let's go through this real quick, and I'm going to hand this off to Josh because maybe he can give us some perspective about this one. But I just wanted to point out that there were lots of ridiculous stats in this game, and here are some of my favorites. Joe, you can, you can add any that you might have. Um, first of all, there was the incredible Lewis Ward. Now, he hasn't missed this year yet, has he, guys? I don't believe so. Uh, he hasn't missed, right? So. No, the, he did have a miss in the playoffs, but that doesn't right. wipe out his regular season streak, which is ridiculous right. now. Right. Yes, absolutely. Okay, hold on. Sorry. Is it ridiculous that the streak's still going on, or ridiculous that that miss doesn't count? Because, like, he missed a <laughs> kick. He missed a kick. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm. Part of me is with you on that, and the other part is like, how is he not missing in the regular season? Well, that's all. (laughs) uh, Like, look, I'm not taking anything away from the kid. He's been. I think he's missed what two kicks in his entire career. Yeah, that's exactly. But yeah, I I don't want to. I'm not trying to diminish it at all. But it's just like it's like when uh, who was it that had the record before him? Paradise in Calgary. And he yes. had that one kick that was blocked, but because it didn't go beyond the line of scrimmage, it didn't count as a miss. And it's like, <laughs> a miss is a miss, man. Like, let's, let's just accept it for what it is. It's still incredible that this kid's kicked like 55 right. field goals and missed two. Like, that there's still, there's nothing to be ashamed about there. But let's call a spade a spade. The, the streak is broken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, okay. But the thing is this, Josh, I mean, okay, um, you know, stats nuts like to define it, like to categorize it in this way. But the truth is, you know, whatever his career record is, I mean, what is his career? Like 133 of 135, even if you count the playoffs? I mean, you know, he's awesome. Okay, look, in this <laughs> game, uh, one of the six stats I was going to point out is he was six for six in this game. I mean, nobody goes six for six except for Kawhi Leonard, right? <laughs> I mean. He was six for six. Um, Brett Lautner on the other side was two for two. So kickers go eight for eight. No rouges in this game. 39 points in the second quarter, which I don't know if that's a record, but it ought to be. I think they literally scored on every single possession. One team or the other scored on every single possession in the second quarter, which is insane. The two quarterbacks, Dominique Davis and Cody Fajardo, folks. Combined for 714 yards, five touchdowns, zero picks, and a 78% completion rate. Okay? Five different wide receivers got caught those five touchdowns. Three guys went over 100 yards. Now, I'm going to throw this one out there at this point. I don't want to take anything away from these guys, but isn't this really kind of about the poorest pass defenses, Josh? Uh, I would say so. Uh, what's surprising is how much Davis was able to carve up the Riders' defense, yeah. considering an offense in Hamilton that's, as we saw this past week that we'll get to in a bit, I presume, looked to be pretty good, had had some issues the week before against Saskatchewan. Uh, their defense held Jeremiah Mazzoli to under like 170 yards passing. So to see Dominic Davis, who I think fairly, we all had questions about coming into the season, to see him go out there a week after himself throwing four interceptions and somehow winning in Calgary. Yeah. Goes out there and completely shreds what is still, with even without Chris Jones running the system, a fairly talented Saskatchewan defense. It, it was a bit surprising. It, it was. But I feel like, and I know Joe and I have talked about this online and in person, I'm just tired of downing the Red Blacks because they make me look like right. an idiot every single right. year. So. I mean, yes, I'm surprised that Dominic Davis was able to do this. Yes, I do believe it's a little bit about some some piss poor passing defenses, but it's I the Red Blacks, and nothing surprises me. Right. When they're successful, it doesn't shock me. I went to I went to the league's official website, CFL.ca, on Monday, and one of the first stories I see, the headline starts with "surprising Red Blacks." I'm like, I'm not going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's redundant. <laughs> you know, surprising Red Blacks. Since this team has existed, they've been surprising. Joe, what do you think? Bad defense or good offense? What's the story here? It's hard to tell because, like Josh was saying, Saskatchewan gave Hamilton a run for it in week one and then got 
destroyed by Ottawa in week two. I, I would have flipped those in my mind, so I don't really know what to make of all this. <laughs> well, there is an argument to be made that, look, each of these quarterbacks got about 350 yards. That's a lot of yards to get against anybody on any competitive level. To throw zero interceptions against professional football players is pretty good, you know? Uh, on the other hand, when you score at will, it gets kind of boring after a while. It's not supposed to be a real league. It's not supposed to be basketball, you know? So, so I kind of, I kind of blame it on the defense, you know, especially since, uh, Saskatchewan had a pretty decent game on the ground. Yeah. I think Saskatchewan scoring 41 to me was more surprising than Ottawa yeah. because yes. Yes. as talented as, as the writers are on defense, Noel Thorpe is a defensive coordinator for the Red Blacks, and you exactly. don't see teams score 40-plus on a Noel Thorpe defense very often. I know he spent a lot of years in Montreal when they were getting dummied week in, week out, but you didn't see them give up a lot of points. And if they did, it was due to turnovers or, or due to short fields that the opposition had. So Josh, I, I he I, shut down Calgary for three quarters. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's – well, I think I'm more surprised, especially yes. because the Riders are playing Cody Fajardo, backup quarterback. They're a very run-heavy team with William Powell, who didn't really do all – like he had the, what, the fumble at the early part of the third quarter, and then right. I don't even know if he saw the field again in the game, so they relied on Marcus Thigpen, who's who's really good, but yeah, 30, had a good 34 game. years old. Um not a guy you're gonna you're gonna count on, but he he had he had some decent numbers in this one if I if I recall. But I think I'm just more surprised that the Riders with their and I'm not. I don't think I'm, you know, breaking any news here. With their lesser talented offense, we're able to kind of run up the score on on the Red Blacks in this one. I think that that to me is more surprising. The the, the more surprising defensive performance to me was how poor Ottawa played because it's a veteran heavy defense. They returned a number of their starters, added Chris Randall, and the Riders go out there with a backup quarterback, a running game that wasn't really superb, and not very much in the receiving core and drop 41 on them that that to me could be concerning for ottawa going forward because they got to win a bunch of shoes like they're going to play the tie cats a bunch and we as we saw this week tie cats can score points in bunches if they have to they're not going to get the breaks like they did in, like no team should throw four interceptions and win a football game that is right. the rarest of rare victories right. so again taking nothing away from ottawa but if i was a red blacks fan I would be a bit concerned about this defense because now it's what back to back weeks they've given up what was it like almost thirty against Calgary, which is to be expected, and then forty one against the Riders. I don't know. I'm I'm a little concerned if I'm a Red Blacks fan with that defense right now. Well, they really only gave up twenty one against Calgary too. Oh right, there seven, was, the yeah, seven was yeah. on the defensive touchdown. That's correct. And the, that, that's the, the other thing that struck me too about this game for the Red Blacks is Moises Madu was nowhere. They had no run game. They still put up 44 points. And and when you talk about the Riders putting up 41 points, and that's a concern, especially since none of those are trash points. Those are all touchdowns, extra points, and field goals. That's it. No rouges, no two points, no safeties, no nothing. Those are all offensive points that the Red Blacks took. Joe, what was most surprising for you? Just everything? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what – I really don't know what to take from this game. Because yeah, the, exactly. Because the – pieces that we thought were going to dominate didn't the pieces that we thought were going to be dominated dominated yeah so, and everybody uh, who bet on it, the undercut burnt yeah exactly <laughs> uh, so is this just hey look they're the both offenses have a little bit more talent than we thought and both defenses have a little bit less or was this just the moon aligning just right and everything going all wacky all of a sudden i don't know i can't yeah. tell you one way or the other yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, it might have been. This, you know, ultimately, this might be a case of when we look at this thing at the end of the year, two nine and nine teams. You know, and and that's the result you would expect. You know, early in the season from two nine and nine teams. Um, you know, not not that I don't think the Riders are that good this year or anything. Right. Let's move on. Uh, here's another. Here's another reason why you should never bet the under in a CFL game. Edmonton Eskimos 39, BC Lions 23. And I got to say, it's only week two, but I am glad I did not get to Las Vegas in time. And I don't say that often to put money on BC Lions at the beginning of the season. Um, wow. I mean, after going down. Okay. Here, here's what I got on this game. Uh, the score was 17 to 3 after 20 minutes. And then the Eskimos at that point allowed just 85 yards of offense from BC and seven, and they got seven sacks. And the offense outscored basically Sergio Castillo 36 to 6. What is the secret to these Eskimos? Who wants this one? <laughs> Joe? <laughs> okay, uh, so they do have a talented offense. We knew that. Harris, Ellingson, Gable. I mean, those are names that are going to work for you. Uh, they are definitely putting up the points. I wasn't totally sold on their defense, and I don't think it's quite as dominating as it looked. No. But the other thing that the thing that worries me though is not thinking about Week One now. Winnipeg and BC. Winnipeg couldn't get much of a pass rush going at all. So does Winnipeg just have a bad pass rush, or does Edmonton have a dominant one? What's the status of BC's line? Is it great? Is it terrible? Uh, we're going to need a few more weeks to work that out, but I'm leaning toward the second, which scares me about the Winnipeg pass rush. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Josh. Here's, but here's one oh, negative sorry. thing on the Edmonton side. They're still committing penalties in bunches. If yeah. they're playing a team that can keep it together for 60 minutes... That's going to come back and bite them. That's one of the reasons I was so down in them coming into the season to begin with, is I didn't feel like they had much of a killer instinct. Well, the second half disproves that theory a bit. <laughs> but the penalties are going to kill them if they, if they keep it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, when they got up to that um, nice 17-3 run BC Lions did, a lot of that was based on two Big yardage penalties by Edmonton, a 15-yarder and then a pass interference uh, call as well. Okay, Josh, what can you explain about the Eskimos, Lions, and since since everything revolves around the Bombers, the Bombers? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of with Joe on this in that Edmonton, we saw this last year with Edmonton with a similar team. Right? I know they've made a lot of changes most notably at the quarterback position. But what did they get out to, like a 6-3 and three run to start the season? Yes. And then they finish it 3-6, and six or, or so, it was something like that. I know they finished 9-9 nine and, nine and missed the playoffs. I, I'm, I'm with you on this one, Joe. If, if the penalties keep up, which seem to be a hallmark of a Jason Moss coach mm. team, it just seems like they discipline is an issue. And, and I've said for a few years now that this could be from up to top on down, we we've seen and we've all made the jokes about Jason Moss, you know, beating up a Gatorade jug and and losing his mind and all that stuff on the sidelines, and that can work for a time period. We saw it here in Hamilton with Ken Austin, that that tough, that boisterous, that uh, sort of angry type of head coach can work for a certain amount of time, but after a certain sometime, players will tune that out. Now they made some changes in Edmonton, Harris, Ellingson. 
they brought in some new players on defense, Larry Dean most notably, and they made a change of defensive coordinator, Philip Lawley, who was the defensive coordinator in Hamilton uh, for half of a season in 2017, and turned around that Ticats defense. He's now the the DC in Edmonton. But yeah, if discipline remains an issue, like like they're going into Winnipeg, you know, to do what Joe did, turn into the Bombers. They go into Winnipeg this week on Thursday night, and if they commit five roughing the passer penalties against Matt Nichols, the Bombers are going to beat him by 30. Hmm. Like, you can't commit. But do you think think they're going to get seven sacks? I don't. I think that that was an anomaly. I think that that was – they brought a lot of pressure. A lot of those sacks were – and they would have had more sacks if not for a couple of penalties too. Uh, I think Nick Usher – is his name there? Mike Riley's getting sacked. He comes in helmet to helmet hit that earlier today was just announced would be a fine only. Uh, if, if you're listening to this and you want to read a piece on three down nation, there will be one up in the next coming days from me on this and how I think that that is an absolutely abhorrent decision by the league to only find a player for what was a very vicious helmet to helmet hit, but that's neither here nor there. You can read that on three down later in the week. Um, no, I think it was, I think Winnipeg's offensive line is really good. I think BC's is not, and I think look Edmonton's got some talented players on their defensive line. Kwaku Botang, Amondo Sewell, like you can go down the list of the guys in that defensive line that are really good. But I think that's seven sacks. That's you you don't see that very often, even from bad teams. And I think this was just one of those cases where the guys on Edmonton were really jazzed to be playing their former quarterback who they never got to hit in practice, and now it's like let's take it out on them. So I think yeah. that. that I think this speaks more to the poor play of BC's offensive line than I think it speaks to the strength of Edmonton's defensive line. See, that's interesting that you blame it on the offensive line because you know what I'm going to blame it on? I'm going to blame it on coaching. I mean, look, here's the thing for me. I was watching this game and just watching BC get just be ineffectual for most of this game. And then I looked out at my CFL t-shirt and I saw diversity is strength. And that's what BC Lions needs in their offensive game plan. I mean, Jesus Christ, when everything is a post, it gets pretty easy to call. I mean, I got this stat for you. This was great. Okay, not only does Riley only manage to go for 149 passing yards, 19 yards after the catch. 19. That tells me that these guys are just sitting there, they make the catch, and everybody knows it's coming to them, and they get smeared. That's it. That's the BC game plan. And on defense, these guys don't even look like they know what they're doing half the time, both in this game and the last game against uh, Winnipeg. It's, yeah, I mean, I I was very excited about this coaching staff going into the season, you know, figuring they were going to be player-centric, figuring they were going to be young and innovative. But uh, it's good to know the rules before you break them. Sure. I think. And I'm I'm not sure these guys know the rules. Yeah, ahead, and, the, and the young thing is definitely a help when it comes to working with your players. But mm-hmm. when you don't have much as far as veteran coaches that can go, I've seen this before, this is what we need to do. Plus, this is a whole new group of players, a whole new group of coaches, uh, right. a new GM in place. Uh, so there's really not much of a foundation here at the moment. That's why I had them struggling out of the gate. And okay. I can see, I can see, I'm, I'm hoping to see them gel as the season goes on, but it's going to be a while, it looks like. I think one of the things we Seems may have like. downplayed in the off season 
was the loss of Dan DeRazio as the offensive line coach in BC. When BC's been at their best the last 20 or so years, it's with him coaching the O-line. And now he is, I believe he, I think he's in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. But you lose those like longtime positional coaches, guys who, even when you bring in new guys, there's a scheme in place and they know what they're doing. And, and you lose that. And I think it's one of those under the radar losses. Like we could talk about all the things that they gained in BC, even with, and obviously when they bring in a new head coach, he brings in his own guys. Dan DeRazio is a really good offensive line coach. Like maybe the, one of the best CFL has ever seen. I, I think that might have a bit to do with it as well. But to your point, Oz, about the, the coaching and the game plan, if you have John White and Brandon Rutley well, on your roster, yeah, why yeah. are you not running the football yeah. more? Yeah. It yeah. Well, he, well, here's the thing about White. It's like, okay, what do you make of this? I mean, talk about your mind-blowing stats. Okay, so he gets the 27-yard in the first quarter, you know, before Edmonton gets their, um, let's say, stuff together. And then after that, he goes seven for minus three. How do you do – what is happening with John White here? Tell me. Tell me, Josh. I, I, I would also put this on the offensive line as well. Like, they're yeah. not good at pass blocking. I don't think they're good at run blocking. And, <laughs> it, like, right now, they just don't look like they're good at anything. And it, and if, and if the thing is, Brandon Rutley, we know, is on the game day. They, they, they put two American tailbacks on the game day roster. Rutley does a lot of the returning. Yes. If, if White's not working, then put Rutley back there. Both of those guys are capable. White was in Hamilton last year. And played really well. We know what he can do from his years in Edmonton when he's not injured. He's a very talented running back. And he's only like 28. So it's not like he's over the hill. And Brandon Rutley is a guy who is also he's, – he's a bruiser, but he also has speed. Like they have the weapons to run the football. And it seems like they just choose not to. Like you mentioned, though, like what were the total rushes? For? Like he was under 10 carries. Like Yeah, 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 yeah. He had eight carries. Eight carries. Eight carries. You're not – no matter how right. good – a running back is eight carries is simply not enough. You, right. you have we, to get them more involved. In week one, he had like five or something like this. Yeah. Uh, like, to me, to me, I completely agree with your point. It, it's it's about coaching. It's about their non-commitment to the run. You have to run. We, we've seen, if you look at the teams in this league that are the most successful, it, you don't balance the run and pass 50-50. That's, that's illogical. But if you're in that 65 zone of pass and then like 35 run that's where you find the most successful teams and i know people argue well teams that are up more run yada 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 but you look at you look at the best teams in this league you look at the teams right now in the cfl hamilton 2-0 what do they have solid run game with sean thomas or edmonton edmonton 2-0 what do they have solid run game with cj gable ottawa's a bit of an outlier um they don't really have like moses madu is a talented tailback but he hasn't really been given he hasn't done much yeah, yeah. And then you look at uh, Winnipeg. Obviously, they're one and zero because they had the bye week. What do they have? Strong running game. So it does seem to be that if you want to win in this league, you have to have a strong run game. It just and it also helps the quarterback. Mike Riley's not standing back there getting the tar beaten out of him if you're actually running the football 15 times. Joe, where do you place the blame in BC, and uh, what can they do going forward? They just got to. Get, they got to start. They got to work together, and it's hard to do when the coaching staff's all new. Most of the players are all new, yeah. and there's really no carryover from the last regime to the next. Uh, it's going to take some time. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Labor Day, this team might be three and six, and people are going to go, 
oh, maybe they're not as talented as we think they are. Well, they're talented. They're just going to need some time to get together, figure out what works, what doesn't. There's going to be a few more of these bumps in the road before, they get, before they're going to be able to turn this around. So uh, I could see them getting hot in the second half once they've got it figured out, though. Yeah, I think I think your feeling uh, before the season was was dead on. I think this is the 2020 team. This is the team for 2020 rather than this year. Uh, I think by next year, if if they manage to keep most of this together, I mean then they'll have something. Well, yeah, and Mike um, Riley's going to still be around by then, <laughs> and not well, beaten all, beaten to crap by then. Yeah, do we? Is he playing next week? He's playing next week. Is he? I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. Okay. Be well. <laughs> I Beyond took a look at the line. <laughs> I, yeah, I I took the uh, I took a look at the line, and I was like, "What's going on here?" But we'll get to that later on. Okay, here we go. The moment at least one of us has been waiting for. <laughs> here we go. Hamilton Tiger Cats sixty four, Toronto Argonauts fourteen. I at some point, I think it was even late in the second quarter. I was just going, "What the hell is going on?" So. Tell me, Josh, what the hell went on? Everything good. It was, <laughs> it was and I mean, I, I don't mean this facetiously. This might have been my favorite game that I have ever watched. I was live wow. in the stands at BMO. Oh, cool! It, it was, it was a party atmosphere. Great. We were, we were sitting there going, "Man, can we hang fifty on them?" And then it was, they hang fifty on them, and it's like, I. This this is how bad it got for us. They kicked a field goal when they were up fifty five to six to put it up fifty eight to six, and we're sitting there going, "Oh man, they're not going to get to 60? Like that's how much fun we were having. And then the pick six in the final play. That's amazing, Josh. Because what I was going to ask you is, okay, maybe you could you can answer this uh, with the crowd in mind as well. I was going to ask you this: so How long was it before every single play made you laugh? Uh, I <laughs> Whether it was Toronto on offense or Hamilton on offense, at I'm what gonna point? say the point where we—it was kind of like the point we knew the game was over—was the missed field goal return, and that is yes. everything. After that was just like, awesome. like Braylon Addison has a touchdown. They've they've <laughs> taken the starters out, and Dane Evans throws. It's a simple like, it's not even a—I guess you could call it a screen pass, but it's kind of like it's in the backfield. Addison catches it, makes one guy miss, and he turns it upfield, and it's like, oh my god, he's gonna score. And that's sort of like it was, it was, it started with the Banks return though, because it was literally had this conversation with one of the guys I was at the game with. We're going, man, we I don't really like Brandon Banks being back there. Like it's thirty four six or whatever it was at the time. I don't really like Banks being back there in this situation. And then he hits the field goal <laughs> and he's turning upfield, and literally this is. He goes, yeah, I don't mind Banks being back there now. And it's like the point being, obviously, was it's it's a blowout. You don't want anyone getting hurt, but you can't get hurt when no one touches you and you take it to the house. Yeah. So, but yeah, I would say that at that point, everything from then on out was just like we were obviously having a good time, but it was like I, it was one. It wasn't laughing at anyone. It was more laughing like I can't believe this is what's actually happening. Like it wasn't until I got home from the game that I realized that the Thai Cats had scored seven consecutive touchdowns on six drives. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's not, that's not, I didn't no, say that incorrectly. Drives. They had six straight offensive drives with a touchdown. And in the middle of that, they had a missed field goal return for like yeah. teams don't score six, six touchdowns in a game. And then I rewatched the game because I mean, who wouldn't want to rewatch this game? If you're a Ticats fan, at least you just <laughs> have that on loop in the background right now, don't you? <laughs> 
I, I, I'm going to try to get it like as a moving picture on, on a shirt somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Wow. I might have to invent some technology. Well, it's great because after basically the first quarter, the rest of the game is just the highlights. Pretty much. The whole thing is highlights. Pretty much. Pretty much. Big runs, big catches, big throws. It was awesome. Um, you go. You've got volume one of your season DVD already. <laughs> That's it. Game two. <laughs> but it was part one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was quite the experience. I, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought of the game because obviously, from an entertainment standpoint, if you're not a Tie Cats fan, this was probably a pretty boring game to watch. But I can tell you, being in the stands, it was anything but. Oh, yeah. Oh, perfect game to go, man. Josh, that's great. Okay. All right. Hit me, Joe. What did you think? I've been waiting for this Hamilton team, this one, to show up yeah. since Zach Claros went down in 2015. Exactly. It's like I've known that this is a possibility, except for what? Well, it wasn't last year, but the year before that they went started 0-9. But besides that season, like I've known this has been a in- this has been a possibility ever since then, and it finally happened again. Okay. I think I know how Josh is going to go with this, but okay. Let me ask you let, – let, let's talk about the other side, which I, I, I think they showed up. Now, for the Argonauts, okay, this is overreaction week, right? Because they didn't play in week one. All right. Two things struck me while watching this game, and and you know, Joe, and the listeners of this show, that I am not given to hyperbole. You know, I can't stand it when we, like, after one game, make these dramatic conclusions. But am I wrong to start thinking that James Franklin was overrated and that James Wilder Jr. was maybe just a flash in the pan? Oh, God, don't let you – don't let Andrew hear you say that. Sorry. <laughs> you know? Sorry. I don't want to pull that trigger because I'm not an apocalyptist, you know, but I mean, wow. It, it was funny because, okay, after the first quarter on TSN and also through the ESPN feed, they showed all the acquisitions that the Argonauts had made, right? All the, all the additions, right? You know, starting with Darrell Walker and going down. And I looked at that and I was like, hmm, okay, yeah, that's not bad. You know, okay, that might do something. And I think that was when the Tiger Cats took over. Do you think maybe this is a situation like BC, like too many moving parts and you got to get them working together? I mean, how bad are the Argonauts, Joe? I don't know. I mean, to, to have the first <laughs> one come out this flat, I that's – if I'm in charge in Toronto, I just go uh, – burning, we're burning the game film. And the season starts yes. now. Yeah. <laughs> it starts, let's see, it starts next week at Saskatchewan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Josh, do you have any consolation, advice, anything for the Toronto Argonauts? Well, on the Wilder front, I will say he, if you look against with him against the Ticats, he hasn't had very many good games. It's been a lot of 30, 40, 50-yard performances. I think in this one, the game just got away from Toronto so quickly, especially in the second and third quarter, that it made the run game completely impossible. Like, you're not running the ball when you're down 34-6. to six, So Well, yeah, but he used to be an all-purpose player. I, I agree, but at some point, you kind of – I don't know. I feel like 
this game was it's kind of an anomaly. Uh, we're not going to see. Oh, yeah. I don't think we're going to see Toronto play this poorly again. I don't think we're going to see the as much as I want to see it. I don't think we're going to see the Ticats <laughs> score sixty in a game again this year. Um, I think this is like Joe said. This is a burn the tape type of situation. I don't think the Argos are as bad as this game made it out to be. I think. How could for, they be? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if they're this bad, they're going to go 0-18, and, and we're going to be ridiculing them all season. <laughs> but wouldn't it be typical riders, though, honestly, for them to host a game on Canada Day, and they take on a team that just got drubbed by 50, 50. And, and lose? And lose, yep. It you know would, what I mean? That would be riders-esque. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm here for it, simply because I would love to see the aftermath online of the Riders losing at home to a team that got 64 dropped on oh, the yeah. week before. Like Joe oh, Wood. it would be awesome. Like Joe would. Oh, especially if the Bombers are 2-0. and The Bombers are 2-0 and and beat Edmonton this week, and the Riders and the are 0-3. Riders are 0-3. <laughs> oh, it would, it would be glorious. There you go. Uh, I'm not going no, to argue that point. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, honestly, I don't know really what to say about the Argos in this one. Uh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a little bit like you, Oz. I'm a little bit... Um, Unsure if James Franklin is as good as we thought he'd be. How many times have we seen backup quarterbacks in this league be proclaimed as the next guy and never really do it? Uh, sure, Zach Caleros is, is kind of a is kind of a good example. As much he he was on his way to ascending to the heights of the greats in the CFL of yeah. his era, and then a knee injury pretty much obliterated any any possibility of that. James Franklin looked great in Edmonton. He had some spurts last, even last year with the Argos where he looked decent. I am wondering if maybe he's just not franchise quarterback material. Uh, I feel like the tools are there, but, and this is kind of going in the wayback machine, I thought the tools were there with Steven Giles as well. And it never ended up. So, you know, some guys just aren't meant to be starters and, Perhaps James Franklin just isn't meant to be a starting quarterback. That, that it could just be that the that the having the burden of the franchise rest on your shoulders. That's not something for everyone. Mike Riley can do that. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell can do it. Jeremiah Mazzoli can do it. Trevor Harris can do it. Matt Nichols, we think, can do it. Zach Caleros has done it in the past. Maybe that's just too big of a, a burden for a guy like James Franklin. Well, it might not be that good a team. I mean, well, yeah, that's this, also. But you know this what? This team Honestly, won the Grey Cup a couple of years ago, but they were five hundred. Sure. You know? But they still have S.J. Green, who is – who look, sure. his speed may be diminished, but those hands are still incredible. Armonte Edwards is a very good number three receiver, and they had Darrell Walker. They've given Franklin yeah. weapons, and they, they still have James Wilder, who can be a weapon in the backfield. If he doesn't work out, they signed Terrell Sutton. Like, the Argos have weapons on offense that they should be able to score some points. So for them to come out and get two field goals during – when the game was actually competitive and not score until there was like 50 seconds left in the game. I don't know. I, I'm not a guy that likes to blame the quarterback all the time, but when you have all of those skills, position players around him who are, who are uber talented, it kind of has to sometimes fall in the QB. It's just for me, for Franklin and Wilder. The thing that hit me during this game was when was the last time either of these guys had a really great game? I mean, really, Wilder ripped it up a couple of years ago. Yeah, sure. But he didn't it, at all last year. We were waiting for him. We were waiting for him to break out all last year. Same thing with Franklin. Franklin waited for his opportunity for, what, three years? And then he finally got it. And it was like, eh, okay. 
you know, neither of these guys has has really been awesome in a long time. And I'm just wondering if maybe, you know, the emperor wears no clothes. I wanted to discuss this one as well. The team that really, from a business standpoint, could not stand to drop a 50-point game at home in their opener is the Toronto Argonauts. Um, is this – I mean already, you know, I was sarcastically expecting these guys to draw about seven, 8,000 per game this year. I mean this is just going to kill their season in terms of attendance, isn't it, Joe? Well, I, I, I'm doing my part this year. But yeah, it's not gonna do. <laughs> it's not gonna help much. That's for sure. Okay, how about you, Josh? Are you gonna do your part this year? Well, they only play. <laughs> that, that's the lone game the Thai Cats play there, and so I don't know if I'll get to another game. But I got to this one, so they got my money for this one. <laughs> I I hate honestly. I hate that we have to have this conversation around the Argos because it does kind of take like I want them to go zero and eighteen every year from being a fan of their rivals, but I understand that's bad for business. And, right. but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to feel bad that my, that my yeah. team is so good that they can beat their rivals by that much. But then we have to have this conversation about, or are we worried about the financial state of the Argos? And I, yes, I think having grown up in the area, having spent a number of years living in Toronto, when the Argos were actually good, like I was there from Oh three to, uh, 2011 and the Argos won um, well they won the cup in 2012 they won it in 04 they hosted in 07 and got to the east final like three times in the span of like five years like they were they were a good team so I and the Ticats sucked so I had to deal with <laughs> all of the like oh you're wearing catch gear they're like one in nine at the time it, it I hated it anyway I think every conversation revolving around the Argos and their 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 place in the sporting landscape in Toronto I think we just have to accept that they're never, as much as we love the league, they're never going to be the A team or even the B team. The Leafs are always going to be number one, and then your second slot is going to be filled by whichever team is good. And Raptors, right now, baby. Exactly. Raptors. Right now yeah. it's the Raps. Uh, the Leafs are a competitive team. The Jays are garbage, and you're watching their attendance. <laughs> when I just went to a Jays game. They are. They're, they're trash. And I just yeah, went to a Jays bad. game about a month ago. Uh Vlad Guerrero Jr. was in the lineup. Yeah, there they were playing the White Sox. They won, but there was, I mean, I I was sitting twelve rows up on the third baseline. Like it, I got those the day of the game. You know what I mean? Like yeah. literal hours before I was going to the game, I just went, oh, let me get tickets, right. and I that that's what I got. Um, baseball, baseball is a different animal for uh, sure, for sure. Oh, but it was yeah, a Friday right. night. It was a, it was either Friday or Saturday night. I can't. I think it was Friday night. So it's like you expect a little bit more people to be there. And it was a decent-sized crowd. But, again, two teams that aren't that great, no one really shows up, right? Okay. Then you got TFC, who they're going to always yeah. have their loyal supporters. But at the same time, they're starting to take a dip now because they're not very good. So the Argos are always going to be that lower-tier team. And I don't think this loss will hamper the Argos in any way because I believe the attendance was announced as you know, a nudge above 16,000 people. And I'm not one of those fans who say, well, half of them were Ticats fans. That's not true. There were a number of Ticats <laughs> fans there. There were. There were a lot of Ticats fans there. You could hear them when if you watch the game. But mm. I'm not going to go so far as say 8,000 fans were Ticats fans. That's ridiculous. The Argos are going to get around twelve to 13,000 people, 14,000 people for a game. It, it's a slow build. And I don't think that this loss will have 
that big of an effect on the oh, team. Sure. If they lose, if they lose this game, but they win their next five and they're five and one, I don't think that'll have an effect in the positive yeah. either. Yeah. I think we just have to kind of accept that the Argos are where they are. We got to hope that maybe something catches on at some point, but right now, this this is what they're going to be. They're going to be a team that plays in a big stadium that gets a if they're good if they're lucky they'll get fifteen thousand people, and we kind of just need to stop having this conversation because I don't know if anything's ever really going to change it. There's just too much to do in Toronto. It's it's a massive yeah, yeah, city yeah. with so many sports teams, so many entertainment options. The Argos just aren't important, and I know that that sucks to say on a CFL podcast, and we're all CFL fans, obviously, or we wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night talking CFL football. The Argos just aren't important in Toronto, and I th- I don't know if there's really anything that's ever going to change that. Well, they I, just I, have more major league sports. They do. The than anybody else. You know, yeah, Montreal has the Canadiens, and, you know, a lot of other towns have the hockey teams. But, I mean, Toronto's the only one in the big four, right? <laughs> I mean, the only one they don't have is the NFL, but they have Toronto FC, which apparently a lot of people like. I mean, I mean you say it's dropping off, but... Toronto FC gets a lot of press in the U.S. for just having loyal fans and stuff. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. I, like, I don't say I don't mean it's dropping off. Like, their fan support is still pretty, pretty yeah. good. It's just the team. Like, after a couple of years ago, they won the whole league. Last year, they they were I think I, they might have even finished in last place. So the team's not as competitive as it was. So now I'm kind of curious to see where sort of their fan base comes. Like. There were a lot of people that hopped on the bandwagon. Same with the Raptors. A lot of people hop on the bandwagon when the team's doing well. There, there are definitely diehard fans, and I'm not taking anything away from them. Uh, but if five years go by and they're at the bottom of the rung, will that attendance be as big as it is now? I, I mean, we'll wait and see, but I doubt it. Okay, one more for you, Josh. Joe has been stunningly confident about his Blue Bombers winning the West and even winning the Great Cup this year. How confident are you about Hamilton winning the East and going to the Grey Cup at least? I'm fairly confident. Uh, I do think they are the team to beat in the East without a doubt. Um, I think Ottawa is always the <laughs> monkey on the back, especially last year after losing to them four times. But I look at this Ticats team with what they have on the coaching staff, with what they have on the field. I look, I picked the Bombers to win the Grey Cup. We did a prediction piece for three down. I picked the Bombers to beat the Ticats in the Grey Cup. I do think Winnipeg and Hamilton are on a collision course for what I think will be one of the best Grey Cups we'll ever see, no matter mm. who wins, to be perfectly honest with you. I think much like the Bombers, if not now, when for this Ticats team, there there's some veterans on this team. Like Jeremiah Mazzoli's 30, and of course, quarterbacks can play for a very long time, but Luke Tasker's 30, Ted Laurent is up there. Like the, this core group of guys yeah. probably aren't going to be around when the Ticats host the Grey Cup in 2021. Mm-hmm. So if not this year to kind of get that monkey off the back, I don't know when they do it. And that you look at the East and uh, this team can obviously beat the Argos. I think the Owls are, are headed in the right direction. I honestly do, but mm. I still think they might be a year away. Um, I mean, they're probably a Cavus Reed firing away more than anything else. <laughs> um, but Ottawa's always that, that dark horse team where it's just like, man, you count them yeah, out, they yeah, win exactly. 11 games and, and host these yeah. final. Yeah. It'll come down to that. If, if the Ticats can beat the Red Blacks this year in the regular season, if the Ticats host these final, they're going to the Grey Cup. I don't think there's any questions about that. Wow. And, and I, and I agree. Yeah. They're not losing. They're not going to lose the East final if it's at Tim Hortons Field. No chance. I would bet my house on that to be perfectly. Wow. Cool. 
Okay, um, now, now be careful because yeah, I actually I won't. Bet, so. I won't do that because I don't <laughs> want to be homeless, especially not in November in Canada. Uh, <laughs> but I would because I think that they're just the talent is just there on that team. Now, other teams, you know, every, anything can happen in the CFL. We see it every year, but no, I'm I'm fairly confident we're getting a Bombers Tie Cat showdown in the Great Cup okay. in November. Okay, Joe, I know we're far off, but what are you going to say to Josh when your Bombers beat his Tie Cats in the uh, Great Cup? See you next year. Hopefully we have a, hopefully we have a rematch. Repeat. Yep. The, ooh. <laughs> nice. Uh, All right. Let's, That's let's the perfect do, let's, answer. Let's bring back the late fifties and early sixties where we go back and forth and trade great cups for the next five years. Yeah. For I'm five good with years. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, to hell with you guys. All right. That's as good as uh, noted as any to polish off that half of the podcast. We'll go on to next week just right after this. week's games uh i just want to repeat one more time i do bet on these games cfl games from time to time and i i just want to proclaim i am born again i have a new rule for betting on cfl games never bet the under just don't do it if you want to bet the under just don't bet on that game okay because every game goes over they should just set every under over at like 80 in the cfl okay that's from the better's perspective that's talk about no lead is safe no over under is safe is more like it all right let's talk next week's game so we got and according to the sports book i should also say this according to the sports book wow this is going to be a brutal week the sports book has three double digit games let's talk about the opener which is the only one they like and i'm not even sure that this one's going to be close. Edmonton is a four and a half point underdog at Winnipeg over under a 58. Take the over. Joe, you're going to go with your guys? I would have to say I agree with the over because I do worry about the Bombers matching up against Trevor Harris because Trevor Harris likes a short passing game. And the Bombers mm-hmm. tend to not do so hot with that. And also, if their pass rush is as worrisome as I think it is, they're not going to get to him. So I think the scoreboard dials are going to spin. I am going to take the Bombers. I'm going to worry about it, but I'm going to take them. But I'm not uh, all that confident in this one. Really? Do you think it's going to be closer than four and a half? It could very well come down to a field goal at the end. So I'm, But four and a half. I mean, that's one score. That's like half of one score either way. So right. That's a tough yeah, one. So, I, so, I beg off of but that it, one. In Pick'em, you're going in Pick'em. Okay, all right, Josh, what do you think? Uh, Bombers all day. I think uh, Edmonton's – I won't say smoke and mirrors because I think that's unfair to them. I I think they've earned their two victories. But you look at that game against Montreal in week one, and once the Owls made the switch at quarterback, not because they wanted to but because they had to, if if that game's five minutes longer – I think Montreal is 1-0, and, and the Esks were, would have been 0-1. I, I truly believe that. So I look at them going into Winnipeg on a Thursday night. Bombers coming off a bye. Uh, I, I like the Bombers. I just hope, honestly, that this game isn't delayed by 700 hours and this game actually gets played on time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. We're waiting for that one, aren't we? 
we're waiting for the lightning delay. I keep taunting Joe with this one. Uh, it's, it, I, I wonder if the NFL game, they're playing that preseason game. I wonder if that would get delayed by lightning in Winnipeg. They, they I'm going to take, it. I'm going to take, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take Winnipeg in this game. And Joe, I, I don't think you need to be concerned. Um, you know, Edmonton beat Montreal and Josh believes it was close. I really don't. Um, and they beat BC Lions, but the truth is at this point in the season, neither of those teams is very good. They're just not. And Winnipeg is very good. The scoreboard will spin. Jeez, Winnipeg could put up 40 something this game, I think. And I, I can't imagine Edmonton putting up that many points. So yeah, go over, go Winnipeg minus the four and a half, I would say. All right. Now here we go. Into the blowouts. Ready, Josh? Montreal, 13-point underdogs. Two touchdowns, basically, at Hamilton. The over-under on this is 58. That means that Vegas thinks the final score is going to be about 35-22. to 22. Josh, what do you got on this one? So this is... The, this is what comes with being a Ticats fan. So they're 2-0 and right now. They haven't been 2-0 and in 15 years. Wow. <laughs> they, that's, it's also been 15 years since they started a season. 3-0. and If they beat the Owls this week, they get the Owls again next week for a chance to start 4-0. and And they haven't started 4-0 since 1989. Nice. So if, I'm, if I sound a little pessimistic about <laughs> the Ticats, there's, there's your historical reasons why. This team just usually will flub a game or two or four in the first half of the season. They're 2-0. and You look at this and go, man, they just won by 50 against an overmatched team. They're at home. They get an Owls team. Yes, they're coming off a bye, but uh, they're still the Owls. And, and I don't mean any disrespect there, but yeah. they're still the Owls. And until they prove that they can put it together, I think we're always going to be skeptical that they can do it. I think the Ticats win, but I think this game is a lot closer than people expect. Now, having said that, last week I took the Argos to beat the Cats because I had a gut feeling. So my gut feelings are completely wrong. So maybe that means that this is another giant, massive blowout win for the Tabbies. But I don't know. Maybe it's, again, like I said, historical precedence shows that Hamilton winning games at the beginning of the season just doesn't happen very often. So maybe that's why I'm just inherently pessimistic about this team's chances. I'll still take them, but I think it's closer than people expect. Wow, it's fascinating that you're like, oh, Eastern Finals in Hamilton, we yeah. win. Yeah. You know, week three against Montreal. Man, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Joe, what do you got here? <laughs> he he, pretty much stole my thunder. I did the same thing with the Argos mm-hmm. last week because of Hamilton's propensity of giving one up and never seemingly rising to people's expectations, especially in the last four or five years. And same thing. I think Vernon Adams has something to prove. I think it's going to be a lot closer than it than Vegas thinks it is. I still think the Ticats are the better team enough to come away with it, but there's going to be some nervous moments. Wow. Interesting. You know, I, I, I always say don't bet on a team you're a fan of, so I'm not going to bet this game. But I tell you what, I saw this point spread and I laughed. I was just thinking, watch Hamilton cover this. You know, the two touchdowns. I mean, I, I'm just too cynical. I've, look, I've seen Vernon Adams with something to prove about 17 times already. I mean, isn't this his third go-around with the Owls? I mean, 
I just I don't have the patience for it. I'm going to go Hamilton. What the hell? I'll give the 13. I'm not really going to bet this, but that would be my pick. You know what's right. funny is we all are like you're with Winnipeg with Montreal. We're all like kind of like, well, like I know, but like we're also hemming and hawing. <laughs> and you guys and like that to me, I always I was like, oh, that's just that's just Canadian. That's like, but like you guys are Canadian, so it's like maybe your your love of the CFL has added this Canadianness to you, where you're just kind of like, well, ah, oh, geez, I don't know if my team's going to do that. Like that's just it's weird that we're all. Like, we don't just spent five minutes saying the next five Grey Cups are going to be our two teams in them. And like you said, Oz, it's like, well, we're sitting here in week three going, well, can Hamilton beat Montreal at all? Like, it's just, it's weird. Like, what a weird thing. Well, I think in my case, in my case, it's literally in my genes. My entire family is French-Canadian. Oh, so there you go. I th- especially with the Alouettes, right? It's in my genes, man. I mean, the Expos folded, man. My excuse is that the psychological trauma of, the, of starting being a bomber fan in 2005 has caught up to me. <laughs> That's almost PTSD at this point, Joe. All right, let's see. Moving on, we've got BC Lions, and and this is nuts. Ten and a half point underdogs. Ten and a half at Calgary. Um, you know, to me, it's like Vegas has. All of a sudden, extremely little hope in BC. Um, can the Stamps really crush them this badly, Joe? Yeah. They're pissed. <laughs> at, they're pissed, and they just had a bye week. I mean, this is like the perfect storm for 64-14 to 14 all over again. Wow. Oh, come on, though. Cal- nah, Calgary doesn't have the receiver. Yeah, maybe they maybe don't... it'll be at 44-14 to 14 then. But I just I don't see BC having it together quite yet. I see Calgary wow. is in just, it's like the perfect storm for Calgary. They're pissed, and they've had a week off to think about it. Uh, no, thank you. I'm taking Calgary, and I'll give you the points. Okay, now, as 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 a gambler type, Joe, i got to tell you that this prediction is a tad self-serving on your point, because you've got the BC Lions going 0-3 to start the season against your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All right. What what do, what do you have here, Josh? I mean, raise your hand if you had this game being between two teams that were winless. I know it's only week yeah. three, but I, I, I doubt anyone if, – if you would have said, oh, week three, BC, Calgary, there's two undefeated teams, I think you'd get more people agreeing with you there. But 0-2 Lions, 0-1 Stamps, no one would have predicted that. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of with Joe on this. Stamps off a of bye are almost untouchable. Stamps off a bye and at home, even more so. Stamps off a bye at home after losing and at losing at home at that. I, this, this could be over by the second quarter. And I think BC is a talented football team. We discussed it earlier. I think they got a ton of talent on that roster, but I think it's going to take a while for them to get this ship right. And I think they're staring down the barrel of an 0 4 start or an 0 3 start. And the schedule doesn't do them any favors. Like I think they get the Argos the week after. So that's probably a win, but. They got they, they could be in some trouble. Uh, they could get off to a really slow start, and in the West, that could sink them. What they have to hope for is the Riders sucking as well, and then hopefully they can find a way to get a crossover. But yeah, I don't know. I, I look at this, and this to me has Stamps blowout written all over it, which means BC's going to win by a field goal because. We know <laughs> there you go. That's the attitude, Josh. That's what we want to hear on the Rouge, White, and Blue. Right. Let's go on to the last game. Here we go. The game that 
I guess nobody wants to see except the folks in Saskatchewan. Toronto, 11.5 point underdogs at Saskatchewan. I'm not sure the line should be this good. I don't think Saskatchewan is necessarily that good. Uh, 49 points last week notwithstanding. Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and say Saskatchewan wins outright and that Toronto covers this because that's a lot of blowouts in one week. Joe, what do you think? Uh, this is probably not the matchup I'd like if I'm Toronto. Uh, one week after I've been mollywopped at home against my <laughs> right. rival, you gotta go to Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, right. so I'm gonna say exactly. that this one doesn't end well for them either. I'm taking the Riders. Wow. Wow. Okay, Josh, what do you got? Yeah, I'll take. I'm with you. I'll take the Riders, but I don't think they get blown. I don't think they blow out the Argos. I think we see a much better Argos team. Uh, I think this is this is gonna be a pretty close one. All things considered, uh, there's just too much talent on that offense for Toronto to lay an egg like they did against the Thai Cats. I, I'll slightly lean towards Saskatchewan just because I do think they're a better football team than the Argos right now, but it would not shock me at all if the Riders ridered this one and, and lost at home to the Argos a week after they got blown out. It, it would not, it, it's the CFL, man. You don't take anything for granted. Okay, guys, let's take stock, okay? All of us have all four of the home teams. There's no way it goes down Ooh, like that. That is tough. Okay. Which of these teams, if you had to pick one, is going to win? One of the visitors. Go ahead, Josh. One of the visitors. Uh, I have to pick one. I'll go Edmonton. I think they're the best team on the road this week. And we've only seen Winnipeg play one game. Uh, a, a, Decent, but not stellar performance against the Lions team that we're now kind of writing off at this point of the season. Yeah. Uh, you know, my my troll nature wanted to take the Argos, to be perfectly honest with you. But <laughs> if I'm gonna if I'm going to take a road team, I'll take Edmonton. I'm thinking about my troll nature because I'm going to give Joe the second choice. <laughs> I think I'm going to do the opposite of Josh here and go against his team here because of the reasons Josh laid out. It could just okay. be one of those Okay, games. you're going to go Montreal. It could okay. just be one All of those right. games where nothing goes right after a game where everything went right. That okay. would make sense. Okay. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with Toronto for that reason. I'll be the troll. I'm going to go with Toronto for that reason because basically for the Saskatchewan offense, everything went right, except they didn't get the win. I mean, for that offense to score 41 points and score at will, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a miracle game for the Riders. So I'll take Toronto because we didn't see much from Toronto this game. Hopefully they have some uh, anger in them and they'll want to destroy. None of us take the Lions. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, you know what? I would, I don't like betting against Calgary when they're at home, regardless of who they're playing. I'm not gonna take. I'm not gonna bet against them at home when they're taking they, on a winless team. Well, see, my argument always is, and Joe is tired of me making this argument, but my argument is this. In the first three games of the season, on this run, the Stamps have not been very good. I mean, they were 0-1-1 one year. Yeah, that's true. You know, they were 1-0-1 one year, you know? So they don't always get out. They were 1-1 one one, one year. They don't always get off to a hot start in these first two or three games. So they take some time to get going. And I'll tell you what, last week, week or not last week, but week one really showed that. I mean, 
The only reason why they scored 18 points in that first quarter is because they've given the ball inside of the 55 like three times. You know, it's like you're talking me into taking the Lions here. Yeah, see, that's the thing. (laughs) But but then again, on the other other hand, the Lions are away, right? Which they've been notoriously bad for forever. So in any case, all right, let's wrap it up. Josh, thanks for coming on. Uh, Folks can read your stuff at 3downnation.ca or .com. Uh, 3downnation.com. 3downnation.com. That three is a number three. The rest of it you spell out. Or they can check out Podski Wee, which is a fellow podcast at the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Josh, take us out of here. What do you got to say for yourself? Well, just thanks for the plugs. Thanks for having me on as always, guys. I love sitting down for an hour talking football with you guys. It's always uh, one of the highlights of the year when you guys ask me to come on. And as you know, you throw the you throw the bad signal out, and I'll show up, and I'll love to talk some more ball with you each and every week or anytime you want to have me on. Wow. Well, as the man said in Pulp Fiction, I'm not a corn of cobs, so you can stop buttering me up, Josh. <laughs> uh, Joe, take us out of here. What do you got to say for yourself to end the show? Oh, when I'm right 52% of the time, I'm wrong 48% of the time. So take everything I said in this show with a grain of salt, because last week did not make me look all that good. <laughs> On the same note, I'll say this. Don't follow my betting tips until the Grey Cup. That's always when I make all my money back for this season. Right. All right. Until next week, this has been the Rouge, White, and Blue for our guest host, uh, Josh Smith. And for my regular co-host, Joe Pritchard, I'm Oz Davis. This has been the Rouge, White, and Blue CFL podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 